Corinthians, starting in verse number 1. We'll read through verse number 11. I've been reading this for the last three weeks, and so we'll conclude with this portion of Scripture this morning. Amen. Notice what the Bible tells us, please. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Ye know were Gentiles, carried away unto these dumb idols, even as you were led. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of, of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. Father, what a powerful portion of Scripture we've read. And God, I'm thankful that you are in control. I'm glad that you truly, through your wisdom and through your incredible and amazing grace, give and have given gifts as you deem necessary and fitting. God, I never want to put myself in the place of you. Much the rather. I would rather my life be something in which is truly led by you every step of the way. Wherever you take, wherever you lead us, help us to have that heart. Not to be led by an emotion or desire, but to be led by the Word of God and the Spirit of God, please. Help us, I pray, to be led by your Spirit this morning. Help us to take any private interpretations from this portion of Scripture and cast them from our minds and to focus upon what your word contextually says. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated this morning. We, of course, have been looking at this very thought of gifts and how God truly gives and uses gifts in different areas, in, different each, in every portion of our lives. We've looked at three topics here this morning. We've looked, or we've looked over the last few weeks an introduction of spiritual gifts. We saw that in verses number 1 through 3, as Paul reminds us that the purpose of gifts is to further the name of Jesus Christ, is to further Jesus. That's the purpose of it, and may we never come to a point in which we cast that aside. Secondly, we saw the source of spiritual gifts. God is the one that gives spiritual gifts. I don't give myself gifts. God is the one who gives gifts. I'm thankful for that. 
because he gives the gifts that complete and make us what God desires us to be. I'm thankful that I can't tell or I ought not to tell God who I think I am because he knows me better than I know myself. And he can tell me, he can make me what he wants me to be. And if I follow that and if I lead into that direction, God truly enables the mighty Holy Spirit a gift that he truly gives to us. We looked thirdly at the the advantage of spiritual gifts, how it furthers how it prospers, how it ministers in to uh, the getting the gospel around the world, how it builds the church, how it exhorts Christ, how it furthers the ministry to the glory of God. We saw as we looked and are drilling into this a little further, digging into this a little deeper, we have seen that there are some gifts of comprehension, how God gave his word. How did he give his word? Well, we saw it as the gift of inspiration, a gift of the word of wisdom. Another, the word of knowledge. We then looked at the gifts of confirmation, and we looked at everyone except for one last week as we looked at this to another faith, to another the gifts of healing, and we looked at those last week. This morning, we're going to pick up from verse number nine and continue into verse number 10 as we traverse through the gifts. And again, we're going to contextually look at it. We're going to put the Word of God together. Again, the Word of God is the best, is the best uh, 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 resource on itself. Uh, it's the best context. It's the best concordance on itself. That's the word I'm looking for. And uh, when you look and you compare Scripture, amazing how God puts it all together and it fits and we're going to look and continue at this thought here this morning I want us to look at the gift of miracles in verse number 10 notice what scripture says to another the working of miracles and we'll stop there that word miracle is the Greek word dynamis which means the manifestation of great power it's where we get the word dynamite from speaks of a powerful and a changing moment. 38 times in the Synoptic Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you will find this same Greek word, dynamis, speaking of miracles that Jesus performed. It is interesting to note that when we come to the Gospel of John, John does not use this same word, dynamis, but rather uses the Greek word simian, which means likewise miracle, but it is an indicator of a sign. In other words, this miracle was a powerful sign, a powerful show or a display that God was with them. Jesus was God himself. And God truly gave some powerful and mighty signs. Miracles, of course, were evident in the early church. It is amazing to think about Acts chapter 9. Turn there, if you would, with me. We'll look at a couple of portions of Scripture. Again, comparing Scripture with Scripture. It's a Bible-believing church, a gospel-centered church, and a grace-driven church. We truly want to be a church that is looking at the Word of God and allowing the Word of God by His wonderful grace to help us to be practical and Uh, and contextual and understand what scripture teaches us in acts chapter 9 we see this amazing miraculous power through the early church 
The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 9 and verse number 36, now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. And it came to pass in those days when she was sick and died, whom when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber. And for as much as Lydda, uh, Lydda, uh, me, Lydda was, nigh, was nigh to Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent unto him two men, desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber, and all the widows stood by him weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made. While she was with them, but Peter put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed, turning him to the body, said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw him, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, presented her alive. And notice this verse now. And it was well was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. What have we stated? The context of spiritual gifts. My, yeah, okay. It sounded for a second like my microphone. Uh, decided to die with fresh batteries. Glory to God, hallelujah. And uh, But uh, it's just me. My ears must be plugged this morning. Anyway, let me get back to it. We, 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 we've been looking at the context that spiritual gifts, what furthers the name of the Lord, forget, uh, furthers the gospel of Jesus Christ. And thank God, that's exactly what God did here with Peter. Peter went in and literally prayed for a woman and the one who was dead was risen. That is a miracle. That is a dynamous moment. That's not something that happens every day. And truly God did this and he did so to do what? Further the gospel of Jesus Christ. This was a dynamite moment that changed lives for the gospel's sake. How incredible it is that we have a God who chooses to impart spiritual gifts in this early church to, in a powerful and a dynamite type of way to show that he is for the New Testament church, the local church. The Bible teaches us that Paul saw a similar mighty power, a similar working of miracles. Notice what the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 20. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 8. And there were many lights in the upper chamber when they were gathered together and there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus being fallen into a deep sleep. And I like this. And as Paul was long preaching, you don't know what that's like, and I'm sorry, I, I, I keep my sermons just way too short, and I understand that, um, but, <laughs> but Paul, as he's preaching all night long, could you imagine that? Uh, you say, well, isn't that something we do every day, preacher? No, it's not every day, uh, just 90% of the days. He sank, He sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. So here's a young man who falls asleep as Paul is preaching, falls out of the window where Paul is preaching, and dies because of the fall. And Paul went down and fell on him, and embracing him said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. 
When he therefore was come up again and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till break of day, so he departed. And they brought the young man, and notice this phrase, and were not a little comforted. What does that mean, we're not a little? Does that mean they didn't care? No, 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 it means quite the opposite. It doesn't mean that they simply were just dismissive of this, but it was rather the opposite of that. In fact, they were very much comforted. They were very excited. It was a great showing of power. God truly moved the heart people in a powerful way uh, in a fact that their hearts could not be said they were just a little bit comforted they were very much comforted they were very much excited about all that had gone on that night why because of the dynamite power that god showed through this early church through the ministry of paul the disciples truly had moments in which dynamite moments happened in the early church The Bible tells us the disciples were set free from prison. Shackles fell from the hands of Paul. Paul was bitten by a snake and went without harm. And over and over and over again, we can look at all the miracles that God performed through the early church. It's incredible to see how God powerfully confirmed his power behind the church. Miracles are often talked about much. But yet, as we look at Scripture, they are actually very rare throughout Scripture. Miracles as far as miracles. Miracles in which demonstrated by, like, Jesus Christ in the early church. Remember, the Bible covers over 4,000 years of history. And yet, throughout that time, the Bible shows us just four instances and a fifth in which God showed miracles. The first in which was in the ministry of Moses and Joshua. As God took his people out of Egypt and brought them into the promised land. You can look at the plagues, you can look at all the manna, you can look at how God preserved their clothes, and on and on and on we could go, how God so powerfully showed and how powerfully confirmed that he was for his people. The second time in which we see a very very demonstrated public ministry of miracles was in Elijah and Elisha. That stopped nearly as quickly as it had begun. At this point in Israel's history, they were going away from God. They were following false gods, and God used the ministry of these two men to help recall Israel's hearts from going uh, into rampant sin and idolatry. Then God would use his word to give them direction and to give them source of wisdom. A brief flurry of miracles surrounded Daniel, when the Israelites were in exile in Babylon. Babylon had come attractive to the Jews that were taken captive, of course, by the Babylonian Empire. And God used these miracles to truly indicate his desire for their hearts, even when they were not in the promised land. God was still drawing the hearts of his people. 
Those are only three times in all of the Old Testament in which you see a very public demonstration of powerful miracles that cannot be denied. Oh, there were some personal times, and we see often through where God dealt personally in a wonderful way, but as far as public ministry is concerned, a public a display of power in a dynamite form of fashion, there's only three instances, three periods in all of the Old Testament. But then when we come to the New Testament, we see Jesus come and perform countless miracles. 36 or about 36 miracles are recorded in the Gospels. He did many more miracles. In fact, the Bible tells us, John said, uh, the world itself could not contain all the books that could be written to describe what Jesus had done. He performed many more, but only 36 were recorded. And God carried this further into the early church, as we've mentioned. Again, to demonstrate his power and authority in the local New Testament church. One day there will be a fifth time when God will bring two prophets and they will preach during the tribulation. And as they preach, the world will hate them. The world will kill them. And then as they lay, in their, as their bodies lay in Jerusalem for three days, on that third day, they're going to get back up. How incredible is that? Is that not a very powerful display of public ministry? And those two men are going to see God again perform miracle after miracle in their ministry as they minister during this time of tribulation. I believe those two men are probably going to be Enoch and Elijah. God took both of them in their walk with him and I believe God is preserving them for that day. What an incredible thing it is that we see God using these dynamite miracles to, again, demonstrate and to speak into hearts. But we need to be careful because miracles can be counterfeited. Satan himself can perform miracles. They can, if one is not careful, become like a drug that one is never satisfied with unless they are on a spiritual high. But as I look at Scripture, I see that God is not interested in performing to meet our satisfaction. God doesn't perform just because we want Him to perform. He does things in His own time, in His own will, in His own way. He's not some drug that we can shoot into our spiritual arm and suddenly get a spiritual high upon. That's not God. God is God. We are his children. God knows what's best. And God truly isn't isn't interested in satisfying a craving that we may or may not have. Think about this for just a moment. Go to Luke, Luke chapter 23. I want you to see it in person here. Luke chapter 23. Go to, go to verse number 8. Let's read scripture and then I'll speak on it for a moment. Jesus has been taken captive, betrayed by Jesus, or Judas, excuse me. 
And he, Jesus, is being questioned and interrogated, beaten and mocked. Notice what the Bible tells us when Jesus here now is brought into question. Luke chapter 23, verse number 8. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad, for he was desirous to see him of a long season, because he had heard many things of him. And notice this phrase, and he hoped to have seen some miracles done by him. Then he questioned him with many uh, uh, questioning with him in many words, but he answered him nothing. Herod bring uh, Herod has brought Jesus, and Herod is excited about this because he wants to see a miracle. He wants to see a dynamite display proving that Jesus is God. He wants Jesus to perform for him like a. Uh, like a, uh, a, a performer brought before a king. I want to see your tricks. I want to see what you were doing. God's not interested in that. Could Jesus have some mighty miracles? Absolutely. He could have spoken the word and every single one of them would have been dead. He's God. He could have done that very thing. But Jesus was not interested in performing for this Herod. Notice what the Bible tells us. And the chief priest and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. And Herod, with his men of war, set him at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and set him again to Pilate. The Bible tells us that when Jesus did not perform, Herod and his men simply mocked and ridiculed and beat Jesus Christ because he would not perform like they wanted him to perform. Jesus was not interested in just being a performer. It was for a moment in which would further people to know him. Peter, when he testifies about seeing Jesus on a Mount of Transfiguration, he gives testimony of this in 2 Peter chapter 1. Look at this with me. Again, we're looking at context. We want to make sure as a Bible-believing church that we are following Scripture. We've stated that the miracle was, these, uh, the uh, working of miracles, that gift is, was for the early church and God would fade that away and God would end that and would then come back again with the time and tribulation but how do we know this? Why do we, want, why do we believe this? We're already looking at the, thought, at the thought that God is not interested in performing for us. But notice what the Bible tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1. Look at verse number 17, please. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom... I am well pleased. Peter's recalling here his time on the Mount of Transfiguration. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the Holy Mount. We have also, notice these words, a more sure word of prophecy. Paul said, I, or Peter said, I saw a miracle. I saw Jesus transformed. I saw God, the, or I heard God the Father himself speak to his son he says i saw a miracle before my eyes but when i look at that miracle we have a more sure word of prophecy there's a greater thing that we can look at. there's a greater subject in which we can behold 
Notice how Paul or Peter continues, whereunto where we do well that we take heed, speaking of that more sure word of prophecy, that more sure word of the word of God, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. Peter said, I've seen a miracle before my eyes. I saw its wonder. I saw its beauty. I saw the power of it. But there is one thing that I would rather have than a miracle, and that is the Word of God. If Peter, who was with Jesus Christ, could look and say, I would rather have the Word of God than the miracle, does that not speak volumes of testimony? Yes, it was power in a moment. Yes, it demonstrated and furthered Peter's own heart and relationship with God. But Peter walked away saying, I've got a better thing, the word of God. How incredible is that? There's power in the word of God that goes beyond miracles. And it's high time that Christians go to a point in which we go past looking for the miracle of a moment and begin looking at the word of God that leads to eternity. Jesus tells the story of the rich man in hell. In Luke chapter 16 and verse number 30, we know the story, we're familiar with it, but the Bible says, and he said, nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. Jesus is telling the story of the rich man who's in hell, and the Bible tells us that the uh, uh, that this rich man cries out to Abraham across a great gulf, but burning in hell, and as this rich man burning in hell calls out, he says, would you send someone from the dead? Would you send someone in the power of a miracle? Would you send someone in a dynamite way? And my family, my brethren, they will believe if they see the miracle. And what does Abraham say? In paradise. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither they will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Abraham said, if they look at the word of God and choose not to believe it, they won't believe a miracle because the word of God is a miracle in and of itself. And the word of God is God's preserved words. It's his powerful voice. It is his powerful words that truly endureth for all generations. And God says, I want you to be focused and to be leaning and to be guided by the word of God, not the miracle of a moment. When Lazarus was, written, was risen from the dead, a powerful miracle. Notice what happened to the Jewish authorities in John chapter 12. Verse number 37, the Bible says, But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. Jesus performed so many miracles for those even looking for a sign, those looking for a miracle, and yet they chose not to believe Jesus Christ. They were convinced that Jesus was a counterfeit. Even when Jesus rose again, the Sanhedrin circulated a false story about the miracle of Jesus rising again. Look at this. Look at Matthew chapter 28, if you will, please. Matthew chapter 28, look at verse number 11 with me. 
Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priest all the things that were done, speaking of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The stone rolled away, the soldiers fainting, uh, and Jesus victoriously rising again on that third day. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, A miracle was done, very public, very transparent. No one could deny what was done, so powerfully given. And what happened? Those, they choose not to believe it, and what do they do? They try to hide. Disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews unto this day. Those who saw Jesus perform miracles among them and saw the greatest of miracles of Jesus victoriously rising again from the dead, as they saw the power of Christ, they said, we need to cover this up. Why? Because they did not believe. They did not see, they did not trust spiritually in their hearts what God had clearly done. You see, miracles are powerful, but they can be deceptive. Satan can cleverly beguile one to perform and to claim it was God, to draw people into the miracle of the moment instead of the truth of God that leads for eternity. We truly need to be guided by the word of God. Satan can cleverly guile us, distract us, unless we're navigated by the unchanging word of God. The working of miracles was given to the early church to powerfully confirm that God was for this. Jesus started it, and Jesus was in it. God was in it. And that would fade. That would not continue. As God gave his word, we have a more sure word this morning to navigate our lives by. Go back to verse number 10 in our text in 1 Corinthians 12 this morning. Notice, secondly, or notice here as uh, Paul continues, he gives the gifts of comprehension of giving the word of god the gifts of confirmation and now he changes into another subject here as we go into the gifts of communication as he shows the church how god clearly communicated to people notice what the bible says in that second phrase of verse number 10 to another prophecy to another prophecy god shows through this gift of communication the gift of prophecy that word prophecy there is the Greek word prophetia, which means inspired utterance of prediction of future events. Remember, and let's put ourselves back in 1 Corinthians and back to the church in Corinth, they didn't have all of the word of God. Not all of the word of God was given fully. God's word was still being revealed to men. And the Holy Spirit was taking truths and illuminating their hearts and revealing in a way that was not circulated or written 
yet. That's what prophecy is. Prophecy is based upon the word of God and it is given, it is given to foretell. Case in point, look at the book of Revelations. In the book of Revelations, we see John prophesying about events that had not happened and have not happened. The tribulation hasn't started. The new heaven and new earth isn't here. He prophesied, but listen, those those prophecies were based upon Old Testament Scripture. There was principles, there was guidance already given, and God expounded to John, fitting together and tying together prophecies in the Old Testament perfectly to what will take place in future days. That was the gift of prophecy. Paul, likewise, had the gift of prophecy. Jesus said that he will come as he, as he went, as he ascended up into heaven. But Paul put together that we're going to meet him in the air. When the rapture comes, when that sound of the trumpet comes, we'll meet him. That was a prophesying moment. God's word was based and God had given some truth to that. And Paul, through, yea, the inspiration of prophecy, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uttered events that have not yet happened again but yet recorded those and preserved those for us today god used these men to foretell or to give of prophecy that is the main context in which this gift of prophecy is given however we have all of the word of god today that gift of prophecy does not need to continue in that context Now, some may argue, as we look at these communications, that as one preaches the word of God and says the rapture is coming, that we are prophesying of that coming. I would agree with that. However, it's not really prophesying as it's simply speaking about the prophetic moments that will come. It is, in essence, teaching about the moments that have been prophesied not giving the prophecy that the context of Scripture is given. Does that make sense to you this morning? It's not, we're not like John speaking of events and putting those all together in a beautiful picture that the Holy Spirit gave uh, John. We're simply preaching about what has already been foretold. And if one says that preaching is, in essence, prophesying, if you are to state that it is agreed and forecasting what will happen in accordance to the word of god okay yes i would agree with that but the main context of scripture is speaking about giving an utterance that was not yet given according to the new testament early church please don't mix those two in sometimes we take our culture our time frame and try to tie it in with first century christianity and if we're not careful we can find ourselves in trouble because we take the bible and put it out of context So the Bible speaks of the word of prophecy quickly. Notice what the Bible says, continuing in verse number 10. To another discerning of spirits. Remember, there are or were and still are false teachers and preachers. This gift enables the discerning believer 
to see past the words that were spoken and see the intents and motives of the heart. Go to Acts chapter 5 with me. In Acts chapter 5, we see Peter demonstrating this gift that the Holy Spirit had given him. In Acts chapter 5, verse number 1, notice what the Bible says, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whiles it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in, thou, in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. Quickly, the story is, is that Ananias and Sapphira seen some who were being praised and commended because they were selling properties, selling things to help and to encourage the brethren and to meet needs in the church. And Ananias and Sapphira decided to sell a piece of property and they wanted to make a show of it. They said, look, we sold it for 50,000 pounds when in reality they sold it for 100,000 pounds and they said we're giving it all to the Lord we're giving all 50,000 pounds to the Lord because that's what we sold it for and Peter saw through their deception Peter saw through their spirit that they sold it for more but were bringing it to saying we gave or giving it all when in reality they were not giving it all and Peter saw through that deception he had a discerning spirit notice he said with the Holy Ghost. How, how did he know this? The Holy Spirit. Did Peter plan this? Did Peter work this up? No, it was a given at a moment. Did Peter know that Ananias and Sapphira were going to come and to, to this? The Bible doesn't give us in context into that. All it tells us is of, the, of that meeting. Speaking of in that moment, there was a deception going on that was not known before and Peter saw through that moment. How did he do so through discerning of spirits? And notice what happened when he, note, uh, when he discerned this spirit. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And notice this, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. So what happened? Ananias lied. And Peter said, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. You're trying to deceive the church. You're trying to deceive God himself. And God killed him right then. That's a powerful moment. <laughs> and through that discerning of spirit, what happened? Fear came upon all the round. Maybe there were others that were thinking, hey, if Ananias and Sapphira can get away with this, I can. I don't know. But the Bible does tell us great fear came on all of them. All of them looked and said, I'm going to take heed to this. <laughs> I don't want Peter to cast me down in essence. And I don't want to be in the situation that Ananias is. And notice what the Bible says. And the young men arose, wound him up and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered, answered unto her tell me whether you sold the land for so much and she said yea for so much 
Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet, and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in, found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church, and upon as many as heard these things. The name of Jesus Christ was furthered because of this moment of the discerning of spirits. That's what the discerning of spirits is. It's seeing into the moment, seeing into that situation and getting to the source of it a discerning spirit let's continue quickly this morning look at verse number 10 once again to another diverse kinds of tongues we are now approaching a subject that's going to be sensitive with many maybe even some that are watching at this very moment i'm just going to teach what the bible teaches the bible says diverse That word diverse means different. The Bible says different kinds of what? Tongues. That word tongue there is the Greek word glossa, which means the projecting point of a language. The projecting point of a language. A language. A language is something in which you communicate with. We are communicated in the English language this morning. It's a language that is communicating, that is going forward. This gift was demonstrated on the day of Pentecost. Notice what the Bible teaches us in Acts chapter 2. Turn there with me and let's look carefully at Scripture this morning. Again, we're just reading the Word of God today. Some take this tongue and try to make it into something that God clearly teaches it is not. In Acts chapter 2, notice what the Bible says in verse number 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a, mighty, of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. That word tongues is different than the word in which we looked at. This word tongue is the word that means direct language. As the Spirit gave them utterance. This wasn't planned. This was something the Holy Spirit of God did. And they were dwelling at Jerusalem, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together. Notice this, this is still completely in context here. And were confounded. So people are beginning to hear languages, their vocabulary, knowing who these men are begins to spread abroad in Jerusalem that, look, these men are speaking my language. I understand what they're saying. And as that, langu- and as that moment was happening, it began to draw a crowd. And notice, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. So all these nationalities are around, 
Peter and those in the church begin to speak. And as they begin to speak, and we'll, and if you continue through Acts chapter 2, and we'll continue journeying through in just a moment, but as you continue further down, they were preaching Jesus Christ. Peter would get up and he would begin preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. But as they began to speak, people began to hear in their own language what these people were speaking of, the good news of Christ. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, notice this, behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? He says, look, these, they are speaking the Galilean language. They're speaking in our local dialect. They're speaking in their own language. And how hear we every man in our own tongue, same word as before, wherein we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and in Cambodia, that word, in Pontus, in Asia and for and Phrygia, and Pamphylia, in Egypt, and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene, and the strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our own tongues, and that is the same word that we just read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed, and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? In other words, what's going on here? I know they're speaking in their own language, but yet I, who am from Egypt, am hearing them speak in perfect Egyptian. It wasn't a mystical language, but it was rather a language of communication. Communicating what? The truth of Christ to another who did not know Christ. It was a moment of time in which God used to help uh, one man speak in one language and suddenly it being translated at the same time with no interpreter in their own language, in their own ears. That was a miraculous working of the Spirit of God. How incredible it is that God would do this. But notice it was to give an opening and an opportunity for people to come to know Christ as Savior. That is so vitally important. And as we continue in, verse, in 1 Corinthians 12 and through 14, we will continue to see that this began to be a prized thing. In other words, they were excited that they could speak more than one language. And that's what Paul was speaking of here. Speaking of one being able to not only speak English, but Spanish. We have a bilingual here this morning with us. Can speak different languages. What is that? That is the gift of tongues. That is being able to speak one language and then speak into another language. We have one man who can speak Scottish and that's all he can speak. Can't even speak English this morning. He's <laughs> been here for how many years and still can't no, just, but uh, <laughs> it's incredible how God gifts some people and I believe he still does that today as we see as people are bilingual or multilingual 
He helps people communicate the truth in different languages, one being their main language and another being another language in which they can speak the truth of, of God. How incredible it is that God, can, that God can give some people that opportunity to speak multiple languages, known languages, known languages that truly can communicate the truth of Jesus Christ. It wasn't for a show. Apparently in the 1 Corinthians or in the church in Corinth, that was a show. Someone would get up and begin speaking a language in which few, if any, knew that language. And people were all confused saying, what? What's going on? It's like if I started speaking Chinese this morning. <laughs> it wouldn't help you. It wouldn't help me. <laughs> Because I don't know Chinese. All I'd be doing is just saying just, just, just words that I don't even know what they mean. It wouldn't help anyone. It wouldn't communicate the truth to my heart and it wouldn't communicate the truth to your heart. It would be unknown. It would be a mysterious language. It would be something that could not further the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is so vitally important for us to understand the context. When Paul speaks of tongues in the, in, uh, to the church in Corinth, he speaks of a communicative language that is supposed to be used to transfer the knowledge of Jesus Christ to someone else. To help others do what? See that Jesus is the Lord. That was the promise. That was the tool that was to be used. And then we see in verse number 10... And We'll close with this. We see the gift of interpreting of languages. To another, the interpretation of tongues. There were some who were bilingual and they would take one language that maybe someone knew but did not know the main language that was spoken of in church. I've preached in several Spanish-speaking churches. As I've done so, a few might know English. Word thing as a guest. You're there and oh I love speaking to the Spanish people so so uh so friendly and so welcoming and their spirits are so open. It's a blessing, it really is. But it's hard when you're surrounded and you want to communicate and they look at you like what? <laughs> no idea what you're saying. That's hard. It's difficult. But when I spoke at those Spanish churches, I spoke English. So what happened? How how have we That's where this last part of the verse comes, the interpretation of tongues. There would be a translator, an interpreter. I would preach, I would say, for God so loved the world, and then the interpreter would stand beside me and speak it in Spanish and say, for God so loved the world, or however you say it in Spanish. And they, I would say a sentence, and they would say a sentence, and you trusted, that's exactly what they were saying. It was the interpretation of tongues, and that's exactly what Paul is speaking of. Some are very gifted in that. Some who are bilingual and can speak both languages struggle in that. You get set in one mind frame and you get set 
adept in speaking one language and when you have to translate on the fly, sometimes it's hard to do and not everyone can do that. Not everyone in that church, in those churches, could speak Spanish. Translated, there was usually just one or two people who were fluent and cognitive enough to translate on the fly and to be able to do so and to preach the word of God beside Not everyone can. Just because someone could speak a couple languages doesn't mean that someone can interpret in that way and in that setting, especially in front of people and preaching and communicating the word of God. So the Holy Spirit of God gifted this church in Corinth, which is a very which was also a very multinational, a multi-ethnic group of believers, the ability to do what? To interpret. One could speak Greek and translate it into uh, another language, Germanic or something like that, and to communicate the truth and to help the gospel continue to go forward. And the Bible teaches us that that is a gift of the Spirit of God. And I believe we look at those and those are things in which we see relevant today. God uses those things today, but it is always a known language and it is always translating into a known language. It is speaking that in uh, speaking in order and helping further the cause of Jesus Christ, and that's what the Bible teaches regarding tongues and the interpretation of it in the main context. And then we come to verse number eleven. But all these that worketh, all these worketh that one and the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. a time but give me a moment please I'm not God you're not God how sad it would for me to come to God and say God I want a certain spiritual gift And you have to give it to me. And in my own context, in my own small world, remember, all my experiences are just what I've experienced. I don't know the experiences that Brother Stu has had in his life. There are areas and many areas in which he can teach me that I know little or nothing about. And so if I come in my own experience, my own world, And say, God, I know what I need. I know what I desire. And all I come to is on my own experiences and my own knowledge and my own world. I can conceive and concoct and deceive my heart into going a direction that is not a good fit for me. Even though I think it is, but I'm going on limited knowledge, not a universal all-knowing, all-powerful knowledge that God has. And here's the deception in which some believers, wonderful, sweet believers, sometimes can be tied into this simple thought of, I know what I need spiritually. And we forget sometimes that is the Holy Spirit that divides severally to every man as he will. The Holy Spirit is God. He's been 
everywhere, all time, at every time. He is omnipresent, all-powerful, all-knowing God. And as all-knowing, all-present God who knows all about me, he knows what I need at the moment further the gospel of Jesus Christ. He knows my gifts, my abilities, and he knows what completes me and helps me to speak the truth in love and in grace and in furtherance for the gospel's sake. And if I try to come to a point in which I put God on a on a judgment seat or on a place in which he's got to give me this one thing and if he doesn't then he can't then I cannot be what the holy spirit wants I don't see that in scripture in fact it's very much different he is the one that decides who needs those moments he is the one that decides what gifts to give it god did not give every single one of the apostles all of the same gifts not every single one had all of the same gifts we just read of Does that mean they were not Holy Spirit-filled? No. They were very much Holy Spirit-filled. They very much had the Holy Spirit of God present in their life. But God knew that they did not need those gifts or they were not designed for those gifts. It doesn't mean that one was better than another, but God had a different plan and a different design for them, and he equipped them according as he will. God knows what we need, we need and when we need it jesus spoke of this very thing in luke chapter 12 in luke chapter 12 verse number 11 he says and when they speaking to the disciples bring you into the synagogues and into the magistrates and powers take ye no thought how or what thing ye shall answer or what ye shall say notice this phrase for the holy ghost excuse me for the holy ghost shall teach you in the same hour what ye ought to say peter said there's going to be moments peter there's going to be moments james there's going to be moments john in which you are brought and put in a situation in which you are not prepared for or think of and he says when those times come he says rely on the holy ghost giving to you exactly what is needed at that moment what is he doing? He's giving, he's dividing severally as he will. Jesus said, as you focus and yield to the spirit of God, God can give what is needed at the moment for the opportunity that he has presented for us. And that, my friends, that same truth carries over to us today. What an incredible God it is. He is. That truly gives and divides and gives what we need at that moment of time to go through and to further the gospel of Jesus Christ. God is an all-powerful God. And I don't want to work on my limited experience, my limited knowledge. I want to be yielded to His who knows everything, who knows all there is to know about me. And He can teach me. He can guide me. And as he teaches and guides, how incredible to see the gospel go forward. Not because I've worked up a gift, but because God has imparted a a knowledge, a design, and has given a moment 
to further the gospel of Jesus Christ. Most of these gifts in which we've looked at were for the early church. Most of them today, we are reaping the benefits of those gifts. We're seeing how God so wonderfully and powerfully worked in that New Testament church, in that early New Testament local church. And as God worked and empowered those churches and God worked through those men, God truly gave us his word. He demonstrated how powerfully he was behind the local church, that he was in this. Now he's preserved his word for us that we can continue relying and trusting upon. The Bible spans so many years. And for a majority of those years, God says, trust my word. Trust my scripture. Trust what I've given you. Trust how I've preserved it. It'll carry you through. I'm thankful this morning that God does give us tools to further the gospel. But the gospel is always based upon the word of truth. The word of God. May we truly be yielded instruments that allow God to equip and guide us. We'll look at further gifts and look, look at further talents that the Holy Spirit gives later in, verse, in chapter 12. But it's incredible how God puts it together. God knows what's needed in his church at what time. We can trust him because he's always right. Father, thank you for your word, for how you guide in your word. God, I'm glad today that we are a Bible-believing church. That we look at the word of God and the word of God dictates our life. It gives us direction. It gives us focus. It gives us context. And God, I pray that you would help us to never take a point of Scripture and pull it out and twist it and contort it to fit our own thoughts, our own dreams, our own hearts. But rather simply speak and to speak the truth in love with grace and with the mighty power of the Spirit of God. Help us, I pray, to further the gospel this week. God, you've equipped each and every single one here this morning with a spiritual gift, a spiritual talent. God, I don't know what everyone's spiritual gift, spiritual talent is at this present moment, but I do know that you've equipped and you've guided and you've strengthened your people with an opportunity to get forward, to go forward with the gospel of Christ. But I pray that you would help us to do that. Help us, please, to use those things in which you've equipped us to speak of Jesus. And Father, we'll thank you for how you work and move and guide our